ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This This is is the Conversation Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. The number of women going to prison is rising. More than half of the women in Australian prisons have at least one dependent child and around 10% of all female prisoners are pregnant when they're behind bars. In most states in Australia, if a woman is pregnant or has a dependent child under the age of five, she can apply for the Living With Mum program through corrections and that will then allow that child to live with them whilst they're incarcerated. But experts are concerned that not enough is being done to support mothers in general in our prison system and believe that more needs to be done to help both the mother and the child. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. Daniel, it's confronting to think about either a pregnant woman in jail, but then to think about a baby or a Mm. toddler in prison. But it's a reality. Yeah, good morning, Rochelle. This is a really hefty topic and it is something that's really tough and visceral to be thinking about. But You know, in reality, for so many mums and families right across Australia, this is part of everyday life. And that's just for those that are lucky enough to be accepted into the program in the first place, Mm. because those that aren't permitted to have their kids with them, it's complete separation. Um, For decades, we've had academics and advocates grappling with what is the best way to incarcerate and rehabilitate yep. what is a really growing cohort of mums behind bars? And, and just to give you a bit of context behind the numbers, women make up just 7% of the Australian prison population, but that is a group that is growing at a faster rate over the last 10 years compared to men. And we know, like you said, that more than half of those women have at least one dependent child and 10% of the women that go to jail are pregnant. And those women are having Mm. a really tough time. So there was a cultural review conducted into Victorian prisons and that was a a wide-ranging independent review. But within that review, we heard some really quite harrowing stories of pregnant women being, you know, handcuffed while in labour, struggling and fighting to even have a photo of their child once they're born. And the Victorian government looked at this review and said, yep, we welcome it. We know that we need to do things better. But from an overall perspective, are we doing enough, I guess, to to ensure that we're not doing lasting damage? But also, this is all about reducing the rate of recidivism within the Victorian prison population, isn't it? Absolutely. And as you'll hear from advocates today, the big question is why are those numbers rising and how do we mm. keep women out of prison in the first place. We did try to get some exact numbers of how many babies and toddlers are currently a part of the Living With Mums program, but for privacy reasons, we weren't able to get those specific numbers. It does appear that it's quite difficult to be a part of that program. There are a lot of checks and balances that need to go through in order for the mum Mm -hmm. and for the baby to be successful for the Living With Mum program. But that idea of how do you protect and look after not only the child and the baby, but the woman as well. And how do we stop them re-offending? So from being able to keep your baby or your toddler in prison to maybe making visitation rights easier, do mothers need better support in prison? Are we failing mothers when it comes to incarceration? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt, your co-host this morning. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. And we're talking about how we protect and look after not only children, but mothers when it comes to our prison system. The Living With Mum program, Daniel, it's been around for some time. I remember reporting on it 10, 12 years ago and how confronting it was back then to think about a a small person, you know, a small baby or a toddler learning to crawl or walk to be in prison. But what we'll try and learn today is what the reality of that is like. You know, it's not necessarily what you would imagine and what popular Mm. culture would have you believe, but also why is it important? Why do we need programs like this? Who does it benefit? Can the program be bigger and better? And is there a way of stopping those numbers from rising of women who are going to prison? 
And it's a really tough one because we get these Hollywood-invoked images of what it's like for a woman to be in jail. It's not all, you know, Orange is the New Black or any of those, you know, Americanized TV shows that show a really tough reality because the whole idea of the correctional system in Victoria is to balance and find the right mix between rehabilitation but also deterrence, because there has to be an element of deterrence within the prison system. And we're already getting so many uh, texts on this to be (laughs) just around the amount of women that are going into the system, but also how do we find that correct balance? Uh, Someone who's witnessed exactly what this is like, having spent a, a period of time behind bars themselves, is Tina, who joins us on the program now. Good morning, Tina. I understand what you've been able to do from your time in jail is learn from it and that's something you've put into an academic perspective now as part of a PhD that you're studying but before we touch on that I want to ask you what it's like for mothers in jail I I know when you were behind bars it was a a part of your everyday life you you were there with mums and they were part of your community can you explain to us and give us a real example of what it's like for these women who do have their children with them in jail I can, Daniel. So um, I think one of the most important things is that hardly any women get to keep their children with them behind bars. Um, most women return from hospital after giving birth, often shackled. Um, so most women are restrained during childbirth. Um, there's been numerous reports on that, despite legislation saying that they shouldn't be. Um, but the use of restraints, there's no real legislation around um, restraints during labour. Um, And I know that for most women, when they returned back to prison without their baby, um, it was in sort of a 24 to 36 hour period after giving birth. Um, A lot of women were strip searched as they returned to prison. So I I don't know if anyone out there has given birth and knows what it's like immediately after giving birth, but being strip searched and forced to squat and cough after childbirth um, is a horrendous and a humiliating experience. And most women experience strip searching in prisons as another form of sexual assault anyway. Um, so it's highly traumatic. Given the, the work and the research that you're currently now doing, what is the, the general consensus around what needs to change? There's already texts coming in that saying, you know, I find it hard to be sympathetic if you've done something bad enough that will put you in jail, that you should get special treatment just because you're pregnant or because you have a young child. Exposing these kids to life in prison can't be helpful in the long run. And we'll go through a little bit of that later on with some women that have worked really closely on these particular programs. But the point of, well, you've done the crime, you do the time and you know the consequences. Well, I I don't think many people know the consequences when they're involved in crime or whether they're criminalised. So we already know that a lot of women in prison um, are on remand. So they actually aren't guilty of a crime. So you can't say do the crime, do the time because people are doing time and they haven't done a crime. Um, And it also goes to what we want in terms of a community. I I really push back on that whole idea of do the crime, do the time. I think anything that's going to keep our community safer, it's really, really important that we approach people with a human rights perspective and with gentleness and kindness, especially mothers, especially vulnerable women behind bars. Why especially mums, do you think, Tina? There's, again, a lot of texts saying, well, is this program available for men? Or another saying, so then 93% of prisoners are men who possibly are young fathers who can't see their children, yet you're concentrating on women. Why? Why is it special for for women? Because women are giving birth. So women are giving birth behind bars. They're shackled, they're taken to the hospital, they're giving birth, they're giving birth, and then they're returning to prison without their baby. So I feel like it's really important to do some special services around trauma responses for women when they experience that. And for women who are able to keep their child with them in prison, um, the whole reason that we have women behind bars is you would ordinarily think because of the serious nature of the crime or their behaviour. But often that is not the case. There is not a lot of women in there for very, very serious offences. Tina, can you give us an example or or maybe just shed some light for us on what it was like for those mothers who weren't able to have their children with them? We know there's a small amount that do through the programs, but while you were in jail, can you 
explain to us what it was like for those mothers who couldn't have their children with them? What was the impact? So the impact is so often that decisions are made in terms of, so you're not able to represent yourself in any kind of family court proceedings. So if your children are um, taken into state care or with another carer after uh, your arrest and you're, if you're incarcerated, you're on remand, being held in prison, awaiting either your charges to be dropped um, or um, for the criminal case to continue, um, you're, you're without your child. So decisions are made then by a family court, often instigated by the state if they're going into state care, and you're unable to participate in that from a prison setting. So decisions are made without your input at all. Um, your child is in place into state care, but also orders are made around when you can contact your child, how often you need to contact them. And if you have one telephone between 45, 50 women, the chances of you being able to make a call during your court-ordered contact hours are really, really slim. So first of all, there's a struggle with the telephone. There's more and more conversations happening just within our community and within society around what justice looks like and what justice should be dependent on the crime and what actually helps somebody turn their lives around, what stops generational incarceration as well. Just finally, Tina, as someone who spent five years in jail, it now feels as though you are kind of spending your life trying to advocate and to research the rights of women who find themselves within the prison system system. What needs to change so that fundamentally the number of women going to prison isn't going up, it's going down? Well, there's a lot of policy stuff involved first off. So there's so many policy levers. Um, So reforming drug laws, um, ensuring some proportionality in any kind of sentencing, Um, the use of non-custodial sentences. So we have that. We have electronic monitoring. We have... um, alternatives to incarceration. So I feel like they need to be explored a little more rather than the tough on crime approach and continuously um, seeing this increase in women in prison and therefore mothers in prison. Um, But also when people leave prison, creating pathways back to community because women are going to return to community. Mothers are going to return to their houses. So we need to know that people have um, a place in community, that they're welcome home. Um, And to respond to harm with more harm seems completely counterproductive. So if people are thinking that prisoners are rehabilitative, they are not rehabilitative. They're places of violence. They use coercive control. So they often mimic domestic violence settings. So we need to do better in thinking about alternatives to prison. Women shouldn't, mothers particularly, there are plenty of other alternatives to incarceration that don't require a prison sentence and removal from community. And looking at those wraparound services that are in there a little later in the program, we'll speak with another woman who did have her child with her whilst she was in prison. And she actually found it to be a a huge beneficial experience for both her and her child and all of the additional wraparound services that were there. Tina, we thank you for your insights. Thank you so much. You're welcome. We're talking today about mothers in prison, what rights they should have, what access to having their child live with them they should have, and whether or not that will help them re-offending and potentially stop that generational uh, incarceration. This text says, is the mother in prison the best place for the baby or is it better receiving care from a father who isn't locked up? And others, Daniel Miles, that say, well, they know the consequences. But what's interesting is... When you look at that tough on crime approach that Tina mentioned that we all know too well that gets used here in this state, mm-hmm. but then you have to start to look at what does rehabilitation look like, okay? Yep. And what sort of rehabilitation is available within prison and what role does a woman's child play within that rehabilitation depending on the services and the wraparound services that you get that you may not get if you are on the outside you may actually get more Mm. and part of the other question is in separating children from their parents is that instigating further harm there are so many text messages coming in on the line motherhood can help overcome recidivism says one women's prisons should have programs to support that maternal love is a powerful force that can defy the worst of social influences it's also important for kids to have mum close by from alan and also this nobody is born bad becoming a parent is the perfect time to pour 
resources into helping women turn their lives around and work towards a better future where they can safely care for their child. We did invite Corrections Victoria to be a part of today's program. There was no one available. We also asked for a statement on how many children are currently a part of the Living With Mums program and we weren't able to get specifics on that either for privacy reasons. We did get a, a, a quote, however, from a spokesperson and it says supporting women in custody through the Living With Mum program aims to reduce the impact of a mother's imprisonment on her young child. All children and mothers in prison are provided access to health, medical and wellbeing services and support, including postnatal visits from midwives. The best interests of the child are always the primary consideration in when we um, look at these applications. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles joining you from ABC Warrnambool. We're looking at mums in prison today and whether or not there needs to be more support for mothers in prison. Someone who knows a lot about this is Karen Fletcher. She's the Executive Officer of Flat Out. And Flat Out is a statewide advocacy and support service for women, trans and gender diverse people and their children who have been criminalised. They're independent and not-for-profit and a community-based organisation. Karen, Flat Out have been working in this space for a long time. Lots of questions that are coming in along the lines of, well, kind of bad luck. You know, you know the consequences here. However, others saying, can I ask what sort of crimes these women have committed? And the reason why I'm asking is that should they really be in prison in the first place? And that's from Rosemary. So when we start to look at why the numbers of women are going up, do we have any reasons as to why? Yes. Look, it's been described as a constellation of circumstances uh, in Victoria. I mean, it, it's a bit of a worldwide phenomenon, the increased imprisonment of women. But in Victoria, some of the elements that have really contributed to it were the changes to the bail laws, which introduced a presumption against bail, so that women, when women are brought before the courts facing charges, it's presumed that they will go into custody rather than the old presumption that they would get bail and stay in the community. Uh, so we've got this ballooning number of women on remand waiting for their for their trial. Um, uh, we've also got um, uh, changes to parole, which are meaning along similar lines, parole laws were tightened as a result of violent offences, um, you know, at the extreme end, um, which are meaning women are spending longer in prison. And all of these elements are particularly impacting on women and particularly First Nations women. Um, the average number of women entering prison each month has increased threefold over the last decade, three times, and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are 21 times more likely to be imprisoned than non-Indigenous women. Uh, these are the, you know, this is the situation that we're dealing with, which is why there are so many more mothers being imprisoned, because the majority of women who are imprisoned are mothers, and as you said, a high proportion of them have young children for whom they're primary carers. And I did want to just point out that that is a particular gender difference. I noticed you were getting a few texts from people saying, what about men? Um, the fact is that women are much more likely to be primary carers. As your last um, commentator said, uh, women give birth, but they're also more likely, having given birth, to be the primary carers, vastly more likely. Um, and so, uh, you know, actually men are more likely to receive visits, for example, from their children because their primary carers, the mothers, are bringing them to the prison for visits. But um, when mothers who are imprisoned lose their children to child protection or out-of-home care, uh, we're finding that it's very, very difficult for them to get um, the department or child protection to bring them up to the prison for visits. Mm. So the visits room will be full at the men's prison of, of mothers bringing kids to see dad, uh, whereas at DPFC the visits room will be empty of children because it's actually very hard to coordinate um, the bureaucracy to get the children to the prison to visit their mums. Karen, you work really closely with mothers who have their children with them behind bars and also those that don't. Can you give us a bit of a feeling for what it's like for both of those groups of, of mums behind bars? What's the impact that these decisions have on them? Can you paint us a bit of a picture? Well, both situations are extremely difficult. Um, I would say separation is the worst where uh, women leave their, lose their children to out-of-home care because of their imprisonment um, and that experience of going to the hospital, giving birth and being returned to prison without your child is horrendous. Um, 
then there's the uh, possibility that you might be able to get approved to have your baby with you in the prison, which of course is also stressful, but you know, all evidence indicates that for an infant and for a mother being kept together is, is the optimum. What we want to argue is that that should be happening in the community, not in a prison environment. Mm. How much of that, though, is dependent on the crime and whether or not a prison, as nice as you can make it look and as, in inverted commas, as normal as you can make it feel, is it the right place to be raising a child? Has much work gone into the impacts, the psychological, the emotional impacts that it may have on a child remembering growing up in a prison? I mean, you can be there till I think the age of four. Yeah, look, I think the evidence is that it's better for them to, for mother and child to be kept together, even in that environment. But obviously that environment is not a good environment for either mother or child in comparison with the community. Um, I think there's a misconception in the community about what other crimes that uh, women are going to prison for. Or in, in Victoria, the majority are actually not even convicted of anything. Um, but what, what they're charged with and on remand for or what they're serving time for on the whole, is not the kind of offending that is incredibly serious or poses a risk to the community. We're talking about people with mainly drug-related drug offending, and that drug-related offending is usually financial or offences of dishonesty or theft, um, and relates to a alcohol or other drug dependency that is often linked to extreme childhood trauma or family violence. Um, they're often, as you said in your introduction, uh, involved in criminal offending, which they are sort of coercively controlled into by violent partners. Uh, the majority of the, you know, people have in their mind, you know, the sort of the Gargasoulis uh, or extreme murder sort of situation. That's not what these women are in for. The mm. majority are survivors of, of, of trauma, intergenerational trauma in the case, particularly of First Nation women. First Nations women and a lot of women from refugee backgrounds and migrant backgrounds. Uh, they're self-medicating for those. They are in coercively controlling relationships or violent relationships. These are the kind of women that are filling up the prisons. Karen, stay with us for just one moment because I'd love to get your expertise and thoughts on a couple of calls that we're getting in. Anne's given us a bell from Geelong. Thank you for holding on the line there, Anne. What would you like to say? Um, I understand... Uh, the lady speaking is an expert and does has done her research. But what about those women who have been on bail or they've committed a crime and then they deliberately get pregnant to get a reduction in their prison sentence or to get the sympathy um, from the court? Uh, there are those people out there as well. And I'll, I'll put that back to Karen. There's another text that says a similar thing. So having a baby is literally get out of jail free card, Karen. Is, are women manipulating the system by getting pregnant? Uh, well, if you, if you get pregnant uh, when you're charged with offences for which you might be going to prison, uh, there is definitely no get out of jail free card at the moment. Um, as I said, women are, um, and as your last caller said, in extreme circumstances, when they're giving birth, often shackled, and then having their baby taken from them immediately by child protection before they're returned to prison and, and, and separated from their baby. So that is a complete misconception. Karen, a really quick one before we let you go. What does the perfect system for mothers and babies look like then? You've done a lot of research into this and you've spoken to a lot of people who've been in and out of this system. If you were given the keys to the castle, what does the, the ideal system look like? The, the, the key to this is uh, having the kinds of supports in place that keep people out of prison. And that is, in particular, number one, housing. So that when people are in a violent or coercively controlling relationship, they're able to get out um, and with their children and make a new life. They're not, uh, you know, obliged to stay within damaging relationships. Um, they have a chance to deal with alcohol and other drug issues. Uh, that's prevention. Uh, having housing, having those kind of alcohol and other drug supports, having um, sexual assault, uh, counselling, all of those things, that's that's the prevention that this society needs to be looking at. This this um, focus on punishment is absolutely mm. counterproductive. 
Karen, thanks for your time. We appreciate it. Karen Fletcher, the Executive Officer of Flat Out. This, we are all not born into families that are functional, supportive or resourceful. It's simplistic to think that these women who do a crime do it in a highly resourced state. For many women, they'll have an extensive history of trauma and live in extreme poverty and disadvantage. It's often intergenerational and just keeps that cycle continuing. We need to provide compassion and understanding to try and break that cycle. What's important is a strong connection between mother and child and to form that attachment, safety, security and consistency no matter what the environment. That's from Lucinda. But others who completely disagree, Daniel, saying, I don't feel sorry for them. Again, you wouldn't do the crime if you understood the situation. There are plenty of people doing it tough and are not committing crimes. And a lot of people, again, coming through saying, why don't men and why aren't men given the same privileges as mothers and have Mm. a similar program to the Living With Mum program? But again, it's generally because that child, that the mother is dependent to that mother, that yep. they are the primary caregiver. Exactly. And that's the, that's the expertise and advice that we heard from people like Karen Fletcher who said, you know, the, the vast majority of women going in are caregivers, which is why this is a, a topic that is designed for women. As we said earlier, we did invite corrections to be a part of today's program, but nobody was available. Earlier or later last week, Daniel, you and I were able to actually speak with a woman who spent a couple of years in prison and was a part of the Living With Mum program, which meant that she was successful in her application to have her toddler live with her whilst she was in prison. Now, she had a relatively good experience and believes that it's helped her. Now, we have changed her name and her identity, and we've also changed her voice a little bit just for her privacy. But to try and get an understanding of what day-to-day life is like, if you do have a child living with you when you're incarcerated. You had your toddler living with you at a correctional centre just a few years ago and I guess a lot of people are shocked when they hear that children can be in prison but this isn't, I guess, a normal-looking prison. Can you just tell us a little bit about the environment, what it looked like and what day-to-day life was like in there with your child? Well, we were at Karangawa Prison, which is the minimum security, and... You could describe it as a big farm with like a caravan park, I guess. Everybody had their sort of own individual little units. Um, There were mother and child specific units where the um, mothers would live in, usually together um, and have each other to support. So it wasn't as scary (laughs) as people think it would be. Being a new mum can feel tough at the best of times. Did you feel like when you were inside that you had enough support, you know, sterilising bottles, getting nappies, getting Panadols? It's it's a tricky, tricky thing being a mum. Yeah, it is. And, you know, for you mothers, we all had um, like a specialised canteen where we were able to order in nappies and formula and special milks. My child... They needed, you know, a A2 type milk. So I was able to order that in for them. So all of dietary requirements, everything was all met. Um, if we needed Panadol or Nurofen, you know, it was as simple as just letting someone know and they would run down to the chemist and get it for you, basically. What about the other mums that you lived with? How many other mums were there and what was that relationship like? You sort of mentioned that it was like a farm. Did this feel like a a community? Yeah, it definitely was. It definitely was. Us mums, we sort of all stuck together and helped support one another. Um, We also had a mother and child worker who was available to us throughout the week from nine till five and if we had any concerns or if we felt like um, you know, something, our needs weren't being met, we were able to let her know and she could act on behalf of us. And she was amazing, amazing lady. Some research has just come out, which we're going to go into a little later in the program, that actually proves that giving mums the right to have their baby or their toddler with them whilst they're incarcerated improves rehabilitation and actually can pretty much almost reduce the idea of reoffending. How has this process helped you now? Now, you know, you're 
outside and you're leading a, a great life. How much of that was because you were able to have access to your toddler, do you think, all of the time? Um, yeah, definitely. I would believe that to be true. Just I couldn't imagine doing it without my child. I mean, you know, I feel terrible for the women who weren't able to have their babies or toddlers in there with them because I guess getting out and then having to reconnect, you would sort of think differently if it didn't go away that you had imagined. You would be, some people would probably be of a mindset of why bother, if you know what I mean, and then go back to their certain behaviours. But definitely it helps with me um, having my child in there, absolutely. And the bonding, a mother and child bond that you, you know, that you can only get with spending time with them. It can be really tricky to get into that program and be allowed to have your toddler with you or, or a child at, at any age. Was that something that you witnessed while you were incarcerated, other mothers who, who weren't able to get the same opportunities that you had with your family? Um, yeah, they do have a pretty strict criteria of um, being able to have your child in there with you. There's, um, you know, you had to have been a full-time parent before you went into custody. Um, yeah, but it's pretty strict. Have you told your child where they grew up and what what happened? I haven't. Um is something that I have been thinking a lot about recently um, and I'm sure I will, but, um, yeah, it'll be some time. Yeah. What about community's reaction? I'm not sure whether you've even told anyone the fact that you've been in jail, but community's reaction to not only going to jail but then having your child in jail do you find that that's hard to break that stereotype or to talk to people about and for people to understand that you should even be allowed to have your child with you yeah definitely i think there is a stigma around um, women in prison and being able to have your children in there um i was fairly lucky when we came out I had a very supportive family and community around me so um, yeah and I came out through COVID so it was basically going from lockdown to another lockdown anyway so by the time we got on our feet that was when you know restrictions were all lifted so one thing we were really pleased to hear is how well you and your family are doing now that you've gone through the system. Do you ever think back and imagine what that time might have been like if you didn't have your toddler with you, if you weren't able to have that connection between the two of you and, and come out on the other side as successfully as you have? Yeah, I. Yeah, it would have been awful. I couldn't... I would hate... Yeah, I hate thinking about not being able to have the... Um, it's, yeah, I don't think I could have gotten through it and possibly it could have been a different story. But, you know, I'm happy that it's not. Is there anything, because not everyone's story is as glowing as yours about the experience that women have in prison, and we're so glad that yours was a good experience, but is there anything that could be done better? I mean, that's a part of what today's show is, is looking at how do we not only help women not enter the prison system, but if they do, how do we help them and rehabilitate them and, and treat them with as much dignity as possible. How, what could be done better? Um, when I was there, there were a number of programs running at the time, like um, the Triple P's, which I believe that they have outside in the community as well, the positive, positive parenting programs. Um, but I think for those women who are unfortunate who don't have their children in there, um, and being at a remote sort of prison, there should be services available for them to have their children to be able to be brought up to them to visit them on a regular basis. There were some church programs that used to volunteer to do it, but that obviously stopped through COVID and it stopped prior to COVID as well.
but a lot of women really relied on that to keep that connection going with their family. The connection that you mention is such a pivotal thing when you are a parent for the first time or if you're bringing children up together in a community, which is what you were doing. Were you, have you been able to keep in touch with the other mums that you, you were there with? It would have felt yeah. you know, like a, a quasi-family. Have you been able to keep yeah. those connections ongoing? Yeah, there, there are a few mums that I still stay in touch with or you know, friends with on Facebook. I'd like to see how well they're going and you know, I'm happy to say that everybody's doing great. Some women have gone on to have more children. Um, yeah. We wish you all the best and um, we know that it's not easy to come out and to, to speak about this. So we appreciate your time and we wish you and your entire family uh, nothing but happiness. So thank you so much. Thank you so much and thank you for doing the program. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne, Daniel Miles, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warrnambool. And we're looking at the rights of a mother once she's in prison. Should she be given more rights? Should she be able to even have her child live with her if they are under the age of five while she's incarcerated? So many texts on this, Daniel, as mm-hmm. we imagined, and they're really one way or the other. There is sort of no in-between here. One that it's says, the thing that I'm finding hard to reconcile with is that these people have been convicted of a crime and they seem to be given so much more support than those mothers who are finding themselves in a difficult or in a homeless situation. Where are the wraparound services for these people who have done nothing wrong? It seems that if you're in a hopeless situation, the best thing you might need to do to get safe accommodation and access to healthcare is to get yourself incarcerated. I just can't reconcile this imbalance. Mm. And another that says I'd worked in child protection and for mums who are with their children, it really motivates them to make change. It's the same with residential rehabs. The children can also stay in there as well. It's a daily reminder with them of what they need to fight for. And quite a few people have said a very similar thing. But it can provide a little bit of incentive. It can provide a light at the end of the tunnel. But this is an incredibly divisive topic. I mean, even this text from an anonymous uh, texter, I do not feel sorry for them. If they didn't do the crime, they would not be in the situation they are. There are plenty of people doing it tough and not committing crime. Well, this from Janny B. All these people judging. Imagine if it were your daughter and grandchild. It's something that has polarised the audience completely here, Rochelle. And I guess one of the other elements of this, apart from just looking at how is it for women in prison at the moment, what is it like for mothers and what is it like for children, I guess the other side of this is what can we do to improve the situation? There have been academics, there are advocates who have worked really hard on this. And one of those is Mindy Satiri, the Executive Director of the Justice Reform Initiative. Mindy, this is a topic that has split the audience right down the middle from those who think if you do the crime, you do the time, to those who are, who are looking at this with a more compassioned approach perhaps and saying, are there ways that we can improve this situation to stop mothers potentially returning to the prison system, which is something that um, a lot of people are in agreement with? How do we approach such a hot topic like this when it comes to the way that mothers in particular are treated in jail? I think it's a really important thing to acknowledge that people do have very strong feelings about crime and that most people, especially people that have experienced crime or been the victims of crime, want to see consequences and also usually want to see improved community safety. So I don't think we can shy around from the you know, shy away from that fact. I guess that what um, the Justice Reform Initiative is really trying to encourage is a very clear-headed sort of evidence-based approach to this issue, so the issue of over-incarceration more broadly and, and certainly the over-incarceration of women um, in Australia. And I guess that, you know, I, what, what I think that we need to do is think very pragmatically about what it is that we know from decades of research and decades of evidence, what actually works to bring about a safer community, what works in terms of reducing crime. Unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, because the evidence is so clear on this, we know that the experience of prison is what you would call criminogenic. That is, it makes it more likely that somebody will go on to re-offend if, if they've gone to prison. Regardless of what your thoughts are about who goes to prison, and regardless of what you think should happen to that, that population, unless 
we take a very clear-eyed look at what the drivers of incarceration are, then it's very difficult to actually respond to um, crime in a way that's going to be meaningful. We know, for instance, as, as people have pointed out, most of the women, so there's about 3,000 women in prison around Australia, but there's about 8,000 that are churning in and out each year. So most women are going in and out for very short periods of time. As people have said, uh, in fact, more than a third of women in prison have not been convicted of any offence. So it's not do the time, do the crime. People are waiting in prison on remand, often because they haven't been able to access the supports in the community that are required in order to address the drivers of criminal justice system involvement. So things like housing, access to drug and alcohol treatment, access to mental health support, access to disability support. And again, none of this should be taken as a way of being soft on crime or dismissing the impact of crime. But if we're going to be very uh, sort of evidence-based about the way mm. that we respond to it, we need to actually look at, well, how do we address those drivers that are totally sort of um, non-controversial in terms of all of the research in this area. But the fact is, in Victoria, we're building more prisons. We've got another one that's just been completed just in, in the western suburbs of mm. Melbourne. So we are putting money into incarceration as opposed to wraparound services. Does that concern you in any way, Mindy? Because when we look at trying to reduce the numbers of women that are going to prison, building more prisons isn't ideal. Absolutely. So we've got the policy settings really wrong in Victoria and in fact in many other places in Australia where there are also uh, new builds and, and prison proposals in place. So we're spending more than $6 billion a year across Australia and that's just on the operating costs more than a billion dollars a year in Victoria on the operating costs and then billions more on the, the sort of infrastructure and capital costs of building new prisons. We know they do not work. You only need to look at the recidivism rates. You took a, if you take a photo of people in prison, of women in prison today, 70% of women there has been there before. We know that 50% will return within two years. We know it doesn't work to deter crime because regardless of how tough on crime our policies are, there is no evidence that that makes any difference at all in terms of reducing the numbers of people committing crime and that's because of the way in which crime, most crime is committed. So we know that the current policy settings, the current legislative settings, the funneling more and more people into prison are not working either for the people who experience incarceration or for the broader community who quite rightly would like a response that is going to actually improve community safety. So what the Justice Reform Initiative is saying is that there isn't a magic reform mm. fix, but there are multiple reforms at multiple touch points in that pathway into the prison system, at the point of policing, at the point of bail, at the point of court, at the point of prison itself, and certainly at the point of post-release, all of which have a very substantial evidence base in terms of reducing not only incarceration, but actually you know, building really productive lives. Yeah. What we've got is a policy setting where we're not funding or resourcing those programs that are led by the community that we know make a difference in a way that will actually make a systemic difference in terms of drive the numbers of people that are coming into prison each day. Mindy, stay with us because I want to bring Elena Campbell into the conversation. Elena is the Associate Director of Research, Advocacy and Policy with the Centre for Innovative Justice at RMIT. Elena, thank you for joining the conversation. You've heard Mindy speaking there around the the uh, the success and the recidivism rate that we're seeing, if we're seeing uh, an increase in the amount of women who are being sent to jail, if we're seeing all of these increases and we know that the reform uh, research and the papers don't point to this being a successful thing, why are we building more prisons? Well, <laughs> thanks very much for having me and uh, that's a very, very good question. The evidence, justice is a funny area and where often... Um, the policy and the investment seem to go in directly counter to the evidence. Um, and it is a kind of challenging discussion to have because the community, as Mindy pointed out and as the Justice Reform Initiative has been pointing out for some time, the community doesn't necessarily appreciate or is aware that what we're doing isn't actually working. Um, but what we know, particularly in relation to women, um, 
is that supports in the community, both from at an earlier point, but even at the point of offending and then that recidivism, you know, roundabout, the revolving door of going in, supports in the community that address their experiences of trauma and experiences of poverty and disadvantage are going to be far more effective in breaking that cycle than a punitive response that actually compounds and really entrenches entrenches that experience of harm, that experience of lack of lack of control over their not only their own lives and their liberty, but frequently their own bodies. It's um, confronting to think about the idea of a, a child or a baby in prison, and yeah. that's what sort of I guess caused a lot of them outrage from some people on the text line at the moment in terms of well you knew what you were doing bad luck this is your punishment you know we should be thinking about the child here but elena when the most recent research that you've looked into and things like the living with mum program where someone under the uh, a mother who has a dependent child under the age of five can apply to have that child live with them the research shows that it works, yes, that it's a successful concept and, and program that helps that mother who would then, in the long term, it would help that child. Look, absolutely. And I think perhaps we need to take a step back first and consider that at an international, at an international level, the international community in the UN um, over 10 years ago uh, developed very, very clear kind of rules and standards which said that imprisonment of a woman with a child or who was pregnant should be an absolute last resort um, and that imprisonment of um, women with caregiving responsibilities in, in any way, okay? So that's the first thing we need to remember, that we always need to be considering whether this is an appropriate response because of the impact it's going to have on that relationship. Now, this is regardless of what... Um, people might think about that idea of you knew what you were doing, which needs unpacking because in most cases people are driven to committing offences through poverty, through disadvantage, often through coercion um, in the the context of family violence. There's a whole lot of reasons why people commit offences that have got nothing to do with the idea of you knew what you were doing. But if, regardless of that, um, what the evidence shows is A, that when women are separated from their children, they are far more likely to re-offend in, over the long term because of the escalated trauma that it creates. There's a sense of profound distress, but also a sort of sense of profound hopelessness. Whereas if we're able to maintain a relationship with their child one way or the other through the, whatever the system has on offer to provide that support, then there's far more likely of the expectation around rehabilitation that the community would always want to see occur um, but really can occur in the context where women are so traumatised by their ex- de- not only their deprivation of liberty but the separation from children that it's really, really difficult to achieve that. But the other Elena, thing we've before got to- we let you go and wrap this conversation up because we are running up to the top of yeah, the clock sure. for the news, what is the impact on the children that have been in prison with their parents. Do we know anything about that? I'm so glad you asked that because that's where I was just about to go. What we know is that um, for kids who are separated from their parents, um, obviously there are often, you know, particular immediate safety reasons, but where their relationship with their parent is not actively supported by the systems, whatever systems we have in place, that we're setting them up for a lifetime of harm and often a trajectory into the criminal justice system themselves. So regardless of whether that's a program where um, a child is in in um, the detention environment with mum for a you know, short period of their life mm. or, whether it's a pro- or whether it's a system that facilitates ongoing and regular contact, it's about investing in the future so we're not facing this discussion and having the same yeah. old discussion and the same old... Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I feel, I mean, I know I did this story well and truly over a decade ago. And to be honest, it doesn't feel like a lot lot has changed. And and that says a lot within itself. 
Elena, thank you so much. We know that you're very busy and you've stepped out of a conference to speak with us today, so thank you. Okay. Elena Campbell, Associate Director of Research and Advocacy and Policy at the Centre for Innovative Justice at RMIT. And Mindy Satiri, who's the Executive Director of Justice Reform Initiative. Thank you as well. There's incredible uh, resources that are on both of those websites if people would like to go and get some more information. Mm -hmm. Just to end today's program, Julie Edwards is the CEO of the Jesuit Social Mm -hmm. Services. Julie, at the end of the day, this is something that's not new. We're still discussing it, but lots of people are just saying, well, bad luck. You know, those rights need to be taken away from you. This is your doing and this is your consequence. This is your punishment. Does that, is that what needs to change? Thanks, Rochelle. Yes, I've been listening for the over the hour and, and um, a little bit disturbed but not surprised by the lack of correct information that the community actually has. For example, I've heard a lot today about, you know, you do the crime, do the time. Well, we know that uh, 46% of of women in prison haven't actually been um, sentenced. And not only that, that when it comes to uh, their situation does come to court for sentencing, most don't end up getting a prison sentence, meaning that they have either stayed in in custody longer than that than a charge would have um, uh, made them have to do, or alternatively, they were found uh, innocent. So you know we've got a failed system here. So first of all, we haven't got the right information to the community level. But as others have said, we don't we're not using the evidence to create the sort of system we want. And I think it comes back to the bigger question, what kind of society do we want to live in? And I, for one, want to live in a safe one. And therefore, I'm disturbed by the fact that we've got a failed system. Um, we need a comprehensive reform of our justice system as it relates to incarceration. It's not working. It's costly. As you said, more prisons are being built. Um, We have uh, recidivism rates of nearly 50%, meaning people are back in custody within two years, nearly 50%. That is every sign of a system. Julie, thank you so much. Julie Edwards, the CEO of the Jesuit Social Services. And as we said, we did invite Corrections Victoria to be a part of today's program. Nobody was made available for today's show. Your story, Daniel Miles, on this, a lot of the people that were spoken with, including Mm -hmm. other people as well connected to this particular topic, will be up on the ABC's website a little later today. So people can jump on to the ABC's website and they can read through your online story. I'll be back with you tomorrow. Until then, take Take care and we'll speak soon.